but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> jeb, 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 did you see this? Uh, Disney is going to fly X-Wing flighter, fighters. I, I saw this, yeah. Over, over the park. Yeah. This is like... <laughs> this is wrong on so many different levels. Uh, I don't know. Is it wrong? I, uh, so uh, what is this, Jeb? You found this story. What's the yeah, story? Yeah, this is, this is also on the drive, um, um, dot com. Um, <sighs> In a section a section called War Zone. The yes, War Zone. The War Zone. Yeah. Um, but all of that having been said, um, Disney at Disney, uh, apparently at both Anaheim and Orlando, Okay. Uh, has a a um, an event um, that they are they built. Someone built and is operating uh, a a series. And I don't know how many of these things there are, uh, but these are are basically drones, multi rotor drones mm-hmm. that are designed uh, and shaped to resemble the X wing fighter from the Star Wars uh, right. universe. Yeah. Um, and apparently there's like, you know, a whole buttload of these things, uh, and they do synchronized, uh, uh, flying and, and, uh, this kind of thing at night with lights and, you know, they have lights in the cowling and all that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, it's a thing. Now I did see something somewhere that whatever the show was that Disney was putting on, it's concluded yeah, and the 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 X wing fighter slash drone thingies have been packed up and have been delivered back to their creator or something like that. I'm waiting for them to pop up on eBay. Oh, you think? Oh, that would be a thing. Huh? That would be a thing. Now I now see now I was from or, or you buy you know buy one in the souvenir store. So. Just to show you my dedication to our podcast, all right, I actually listened to the video that's embedded in the middle of this, okay? So dedication. this is a video from, as you probably well know, um, there's just a whole universe of people who do Disney Watcher, um, you know, videos and blogs, and um, it's quite a quite a little, uh, uh, you know, cottage industry of people who are following what Disney's up to. Uh, and this one is, uh, what's it called? Uh Mickey Views, all things Disney news, is the is the YouTube channel, um, and so I actually listened to this, this video. Although I confess, I only made it about halfway through before I couldn't stand it anymore. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he describes that um, that very similar to what you just said uh, is that this if these were flown at all, they were only flown once in uh, relation to this big press event that they did recently where they were introducing a new ride that's part of this, this Disney, or this Star Wars world that's at, uh, at Disneyland. Um, and, uh, but he seemed to think that this could well become a regular thing, that they didn't go away. I don't know. Um, and uh, but there's just so many questions here. It's like, so we got Disney flying large-ish drones because these are not small drones. These are like drones the size of a compact car. All right. So um, the drones that can carry 500 pounds. Yeah, right. All right. And so you're going to fly them low over a crowded, you know, amusement park venue. Um, so it, it's like, isn't it against the rules to fly anything over a crowd? Let alone nothing's it? against the rules for Disney. They've got their own TFR. Okay. That's the truth. Yep. That's sort of where I was going here, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. Disney, 
Disney controls the horizontal. Disney controls yes. the vertical. Yes. And uh, um, maybe I don't know. I mean, I, I you know I'm one. I kind of like Disney. I'm I'm a little resist resentful of how much control they have over this airspace. What you just alluded to. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, I you know. And and Disney, I was talking with somebody on on some social media, Twitter or something recently. And we were we were bemoaning the fact that that Disney has so messed up um, copyright in America or trade, you know, um, because they've been desperately trying to protect Mickey and not let Mickey go into the public domain. Um, and as a result, every copyright is messed up for everything, and so that's a bad thing. But on the other hand, Disney does a lot of interesting things in terms of um, fun entertainment and uh, the technology that they've developed in order to do that entertainment. Um, so, uh, you know, I remember they used to have a, they used to fly ultralights over the Epcot, that yeah. pond in the middle of Epcot. So they did a light show when fireworks and sprayed water and stuff like that over that, that, that pond um, each evening. And for a while, they had uh, they actually flew ultralights um, as part of that 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 show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I'm pretty sure I actually saw I was actually present to see the version of the show with the ultralights, and it was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, they uh, apparently operated off of the legendary um, airport there. Um, this is down in Flo- the Florida version, Orlando, um, and uh, the legendary uh, Ep- or, or uh, Disney World airport there. That's no longer an airport. Um, but I, I guess that's where they operate these ultralights. So they, they've done this in the past. Um, this story, Jeb, um, alludes to them flying a dragon um, over one of the... I saw that. And I and that's this is... I think now that you mention it, I remember seeing video of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's an interesting thing. And, uh, and so now they've got a, a drone, a multi-copter X-wing that they're going to fly over... What's this? What's this? It's a Star Wars world. It's got a name. Now I'm blanking. Um, it's called. I I'm sure it's in here there. someplace. Galaxy's Edge. Galaxy's Edge. Galaxy's, Galaxy's Edge. Edge. And, uh, but. Uh, and here but, we are giving Disney publicity that they neither need nor paid for. Yeah, well, and I'm still in the. Um, I, I lean towards Disney is evil uh, side of that coin. So okay. Say, All right. Well, that's yeah. now. But this 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 TFR is Orlando. They don't have a TFR over Anaheim, do they? I don't think so. No, they don't have the same kind of because it that's might like, be that the airspace over the Anaheim facility is completely different. I don't know. Well, of, of course it is. I mean, it's like within it's nearby, if not within the uh, the uh, John Wayne uh, uh, Charlie. I would, you know, yeah. I don't think it's in it, but it's close to it. Yeah, that's a whole different kind of airspace, the L.A. Basin, as opposed to uh, Orlando. So, so yeah, they're flying these uh, things over the thing. Again, you know, maybe maybe we'll see them on on the open market one of these days. Yeah. Get your get your X wing fighter. Uh, yeah, get your X wing fighter here. I don't know. Anyways, all right. Well, is that everything there is to say about this? Um, other than somehow, I thought it would be more interesting. Yeah. Other know. than you know, I'm sure the the uh, stormtroopers still can't shoot straight, so. Oh, there's that. Uh, that is a whole other thing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. There's a. I saw a video recently about Dex, the history of uh, of uh, of stormtroopers, how the how their look have changed over the various iterations of the movie. It's, it's actually kind of interesting. Yeah. Hmm. But that's definitely not aviation. So no. So no. we're on the lookout to buy um, an X-wing fighter on eBay. 
I don't know that uh, we're on the lookout. I mean, you think that could that could show up on that bring a trailer thing that you're it could show up on so. bring a trailer? Um, yeah, yeah, they have airplanes. They had airplanes before. They have motorcycles. Okay. Well, have, when it, when it, yeah, I, I sent y'all a link to that snow machine. Figured y'all needed it more than I did. <laughs> well, which snow machine is this? When do you send this today? This is the last couple of weeks. Yeah, okay. All I right, sent yeah, you a link. There's a snow big... machine. Yeah, right. I don't do that kind of yeah, stuff. That's, yeah, yeah. You know, so, anyways. All right. Well, um, when the when it shows up on eBay or on Bring a Trailer or any of those other odd sites that you follow, Jeb, you'll we, put it we on will the list. do a follow up story on on uh, uncontrolled airspace. There we go. Hey, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from uh, beautiful downtown Dover, New Hampshire, on the banks of the ever-industrious Cochico River, uh, where I'm talking to my two good friends here in our, our virtual hangar, and uh, we're going to talk about airplanes and airplane stuff and weather and, and you name it. But uh, um, my two good friends here, uh, first of all, uh, from uh, the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas, is uh, Dave Higdon. Good morning, David. How are you doing? Doing okay. Doing okay. Uh, got the... Uh holiday preparations done got the road trip behind me and uh and getting ready to settle down for a long winter's working nap there you go <laughs> i like that dave i like what you did there i see that i saw what you just did that was pretty cool uh, no one else will understand it but i do and that's what's important uh what uh yeah so you're uh you're you're you know, kind of like just hunkered down for the winter now likewise for me but uh it yeah there's the the uh the work is a, such a cyclical thing. I never see the end of the circle. I just I come back to the starting that. point and do it all over again. Jeb knows exactly what I'm talking I, about. Mm-hmm. I used to joke about you being the hardest working guy at, at Air Venture. Um, you, you're like one of the hardest working guys I know year round. At least, at least you make it sound that way. Maybe that's what you're good at, making it sound busy. I don't know. Um, <laughs> my other good friend here in the virtual hangar is from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Is Jeb Burnside. Good morning, Jeb. How are you doing? I'm spiffy this morning. Um, uh, warmer than y'all are. Um, and um, <laughs> Duh. Um, yeah. just looking forward to uh, sitting down with you folks for a few yeah. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What's going on in the uh, in the world of aviation here? We've got uh, what is HIWAS? High altitude oh. weather advisory system. High altitude. Or, I don't know if the high, I don't know if it's high altitude. I'm sorry. No, now well, I don't know. Is it? Um, Ain online says it's hazardous Hazard, flight yeah, weather it. weather that's advisory it. service. It. Yeah. Okay. So, but it doesn't matter because it's going away. It's going away. Or, is yeah. it really going away? I mean, is, really, this a good, is this a bad? Is it going away? And if it is, <clears> is that a bad thing? It's, you know, it's going I'm, away. They're they're discontinuing. It, it, it. Yeah, there's, they they seem determined to be doing away to do away with it. Uh, and they being I, the FAA, I, they being the FAA, and I and I kind of sort of understand the logic. Uh, when uh, HIWAS was started in the early '80s, uh, it was broadcast over. You know, for example, uh, VOR frequencies. You could tune in and, and hear it there. Uh, and it was a way to pick up weather information without talking to flight service, uh, particularly hazardous weather. And they would tell us as we were flying across the country when uh, uh, a high wasp advisory had been issued and what area it affected, and you could hear the whole thing on such and such frequency. Uh, but that was the 80s, and you know, most of us have probably noticed that 
There's a hell of a lot more weather sources, weather information sources now than anyone ever dreamed of. I mean, I mean, just just with ADSBN alone, you can see the whole country. Uh, there's other sites that you can tap in flight. You can get it on your phone. Uh, you can get it on your tablet. Uh, you can play it on your panel-mounted displays. Uh, so it's not exactly the uh, in-demand service that it used to be. According to the FAA, uh, radio contacts for high dropped to fewer than 900 per day from an average at its peak of 10,000 daily. So clearly it's not, uh, it, it's not as in-demand as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. You agree, Jeb? It's kind yeah, of okay. That this I, 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 is, I don't disagree with any of that. I'm always one who would rather not see some of the stuff to which I've grown accustomed go away. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used Tywas before. Um, if it was around, I would probably use it again. I'd be one of those 900. Um, but, um, yeah, um, the tools we have in the cockpit now, are light years better than what we had when uh, HIWAS was uh, uh, first uh, invented. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> not only is um, HIWAS voice-based, but it's you know typical VHF communications, line of sight, party line. Um, the, the occasions I've I've used HIWAS. Um, I think I did have to wait to get an L word in, or or uh, to have. Um, um, actually, no. Hiwas is a is a broadcast. It's not a uh, right. Yeah, uh, a continuous broadcast. But I was thinking about Flightwatch. Um, oh yeah, Flightwatch is different. Flightwatch is more of a party line than than Hiwas is. I don't know how the FAA can tell how many mm-hmm. people listen to Hiwas. Uh, that's a good question. Since they might a, do since traditional polling survey yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The, I think the stat that, that Dave uh, quoted a moment ago has to do with um, flight service station uh, contacts generally. I'm looking at the same thing. As, um, so the FAA proposal or the FAA notice that says it's going to drop HIWAS said, said – um, um, in, in 2018, radio contacts dropped to less than 900 per day. That's with the entire flight service station network, and presumably, and, presumably in the lower 48, because uh, the Alaska flight service station network is a completely different animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this was actually proposed uh, last year, and the sunset was supposed to have happened this year on September 30, yeah. at the end of the fiscal year. So. If you've been missing it, that's why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of things that have, have run their course here, I'm going to hear now in in in, uh, um, in cast. I just sent you. What are you laughing? Don't at? give me a, an opening like that. <laughs> Straight lines are my life. Um, I just sent you a link in uh, in cast. Open up that link. Look at that picture. So a friend of mine uh, uh, was flying a rental aircraft recently, and he sent me this picture. He oh, says, man. "He says, what is that? You know what this is." <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at it, and I'm going, and I didn't, you know, it, oh, Jeff, it sounds like it. you know what it is. What Loran. is that? It's a Loran receiver. It's a Loran receiver, I know. And uh, and it's a TSO Loran receiver. A, yeah. One of, one of the old Tomorrow 
That's um, that dates from the eighties. I asked yeah. him. I asked him. I said, "Does it work?" All right. He says. He says, "I don't know. We never turned it on." Apparently, the so th- this was a rental checkout. All right. Uh, he was gonna go flying, um, and he was so he was getting checked out in this airplane, and 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 he saw this thing in the panel, and he and he asked the local CFI. He said, "What is that?" And the CFI said, "I don't know." All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember. You remember Loran was like cool all right you know loran and this goes back to when i learned how to fly loran, loran. was 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 the coolest thing since uh, be, since premarital sex back yeah, in the okay day. something like yeah. that yeah um particularly and, uh, after they filled the mid-continent gap yeah. you could use and it all the way across the country yeah and i was trying to explain this to my my young friend um that that not only did loran used to be cool but it used to be cool only along the edges of the country you know and it was mm-hmm. like as as it started to fill in throughout the yeah so uh so see some technology is like that its time has come i don't know why probably would cost two thousand dollars just to have this thing removed legally you know cert in a cert- certifiable way well it's interesting clearly the the upper portion of this panel is original to the airplane it's cessna yes. cessna arc 300 series radios yeah uh with uh, the lcd uh numerals um the radios themselves date from late seventies, early eighties. Um, yeah, those are Nietzsche tubes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't even call them LCD, right? There's something else. Uh, yeah, right. It's a, it's a I, maybe luminescent kind. Of, what yeah. do you call it, David? And, and those are old Nietzsche tubes. Nietzsche. And those are old Cessna radios. Yeah, those are yeah. old Cessna radios. Yeah. Um, uh, there'll there'll but, be a link in the in the show notes if you want to look at this picture. Yeah. Um, the other thing the, here yeah. though too is the it's got a modern transponder. It's got a GTX something. I can't read the number on it. Transponder. So clearly someone's been into that panel. Well, could that be since, associated with since Loran went out of business? Could that be associated with whatever this has to uh, satisfy ADSB requirement? Mm, the the no. GTX, yeah, but the not, not the Loran. Oh, no, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. You were asking why it has a new GTX, but everything else, and, and the GTX yeah, could be. Yeah, yeah, but my my point is, someone's been in that panel since the aircraft. Uh, oh, okay. And, and so why and didn't they take? They the didn't Loran take out the Apollo Loran, which would yeah. save them. I don't know how many pounds. Yeah, okay. Plus an antenna and wiring. Oh, yeah, probably save them about three, four pounds. Yeah, yeah, right. And it would, like I said, it would cost thousands of dollars no, to remove. No, it wouldn't. Especially no. if you're already in there. Okay. It, yes, it, it, there's a little screw thing there. You can take it out. Yeah. Put a blank over it. Take the antenna off. Uh-huh. Say, hey, A and P. Uh, I took this out, signed it off. What do you think? The guy says, yep, looks good to me. It's gone. Yeah. Uh, and you redo your weight and balance, which is just paperwork, and then you yeah. you put a, a tie wrap, pop, open the breaker for it, for that circuit, put a tie wrap around it, and you're done. Now, for those who ask, well, why would you want to remove a perfectly good area navigation system like Loran C <laughs> from a panel? Yeah, why? The answer to that question is because the government shut down the Loran C chains more than 10 years, years ago. Yeah, more than 10 years ago. That's what I wanted to know. The radio, do they even still broadcast that stuff? They don't. No. 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 Okay. Now, it might be useful in Europe. No. Because they're using Loran over there, a uh, digital Loran, as a... Uh, as an alternative to uh, GPS or as a standby for GPS. But uh, yeah, here in the States, not so much. And the pity was that the only cost of running that system was the electric bill for the transmitters. 
as the system was all in and, and maintained and all solid state by the time they shut it down. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Anyways, so I guess so. Hiwas is going the way of Loran, and uh, Hiwas is gone yeah. as of September. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Loran. No, Hiwas. Uh, Hiwas. I saw a January date on Hiwas. I just looked it up. Okay. Yeah. The right. story we're looking at refers to January eighth, but I, I don't know. Yeah. Take a look at the date on that story. Oh, is it a year ago, January eighth? Yeah. Ah. Okay. Well. Eh. So. <laughs> this proposal discontinued is from August two thousand eighteen. I see. So it's a good thing that we're not a news or operation here because. <laughs> well, there's there's that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. All right. And, well. Uh, I, I was. Found... Oh yeah. Here we go. Uh, this is a notice from uh, week of May nineteen to May twenty five of this year. Uh, Hazardous in-flight weather advisory service sunsets. Yeah, okay. I see what you're saying, David. So who put this on the list? This is a year-old story here. I think uh, that might have been me. Oh, David did that. All right. Well, anyways. Okay. High was is gone. Loran is gone. Uh, long live Okay, well, hang on a second because... What? Um, let's, let's verify this. Okay. Uh, AIN Online, uh, December 9, 2019 article. Yeah. Says January eighth of twenty twenty. Okay, so and this FAA site says that the link that I just sent you, yeah, says that it's sunset on uh, September thirty twenty nineteen. Well, there you go. So well, condition they just can't make up their mind. They can't make up their mind. Um, yeah, it, it, it's how should I put this? Um, won't be the first time in recent memory that the, <laughs> that the FAA announced a deadline by which something would happen, and it didn't. Just <laughs> shocking, the FAA shocking. like a 737. I, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, international flight plan forms is, is one. Uh, um, I, going back to 16 or 17 in the magazine, I've been writing about how uh, real soon now, <laughs> the RSN, <Right. laughs> uh, real yeah. soon now you will not be able to file a flight plan using the FAA's domestic flight plan form. Um, and that went on for two or three years, and it's finally been implemented earlier this year. Um, When's the last time you actually submitted a flight plan on that form? Well, here you know, you know that little aluminum um, uh, kneeboard thing that I carry with me in the airplane? Right. Okay. And it's got, you know, some some flip-open layers and, and, and all this kind of thing. It's just been within the last month that I took that and opened it up and took out from one of those little cubby holes in it the, the pad of flight plan forms, yeah. FAA domestic flight plan forms, that uh-huh. I've been carrying for decades. Yeah. Okay. Because it was, I mean, even when you were phoning in the plan, it you needed was some. Yeah, I, I got to the point where I could pretty much do it in sequence from memory. Right. You know, but now, do you still file on the phone, or do you file through ForeFlight? I use ForeFlight for just yeah. about everything. That's um, what it's. I haven't yet. I haven't had occasion to file a flight plan since I've returned. Yeah. But that seems to be the way to do it. Um, um, for not only opening, but clo- not only filing, but <clears throat> closing. Yeah. Um, as there's, well. there was one occasion. When was it? Um, a couple, it was within the last couple of years uh, where 
I had not filed a subsequent flight plan after a, after a fuel stop and could not get a Wi-Fi signal mm. or a uh, data signal on my cell, um, but I could get through with a phone call. Ooh. Yeah. And managed Ooh. to call from the ramp. Uh, to file a flight plan, and they, but yeah, okay. They wanted you to send position reports using Loran, though. Yeah. <laughs> Old technology. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> call, us, right. call us on Hiwas, and we'll get it all squared away. Yeah, there you go, there you go. All right. Here's a weird question for you. So another uh, one. Yeah, I know, huh? So when we participated in, as so many people did, the making of um, of uh, the One Week Wonders at uh, at Oshkosh, um, we popped a rivet. We Because that's how these aluminum aircraft are, it seems to me anyways, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they are largely assembled using rivet, pop rivets or rivets of some sort as fasteners. Have been, even before pop rivets, they used reg- old, more traditional bucked rivets, right? Yeah, like all the RVs use solid rivets. Right. And, um, and David, I, I would imagine that your airplane that you're working on uses rivets of some sort. Uh, I think you talked about them being pop rivets. but um, Well, they, they, they're... They're a little more upscale than pop rivets. Uh, they're cherry max, I call them. Uh, they're stainless steel. Uh, right. The leading edges of the wings uh, are flush riveted with pull rivets, and the rest of it uses normal uh, uh, mushroom yeah. tops. Yeah. So this is. So I was watching some YouTube videos recently, um, not having to do with airplanes, having to do with car building. All right where they were um, using a lot of aluminum um, structural components, which they were uh, fastening together, assembling, um, y- y- welding them together, all right? Uh, and, and that got me to wondering, why do we not weld our aluminum airplanes? Maybe not putting on the skins, but like the structure, like the spars and the, and the, and the ribs and things like that. Um, is there some particular reason why we don't weld our aluminum airplanes in, in, instead of riveting them? Yeah, and that is well there is a form of welding that has been approved for aircraft construction and it's used in the uh uh oh crap the eclipse 500 it's called friction stir welding i've heard of that yeah okay okay and other welding whether it's tig or mig generates high temperatures that messes with the heat treatment of the aircraft-grade aluminum that oh, we use. Oh, okay. All right. And, that makes total sense. Yeah, all right. And, yeah. and that's not that's not avoid, avoidable with that kind of welding. Friction stir only gets the temperature of the aluminum up to the point where it starts to get a little plasma-like, and the metals can flow together without screwing up the heat treating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the Eclipse folks got that idea from some of the work done by NASA contractors building uh, uh, rockets. They use friction stir welding on these structures. Uh, And it's all done on the inside, and it's all robotic and automated. Nobody's doing this by hand. Uh, And it it carried over really well. It's been proven in hundreds and hundreds of rocket launches to be structurally capable of holding up the forces of mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, big, now that- big engines popping flames. Yeah. But you start putting high-temperature electronic heat into the metal to use 
uh, tungsten inert gas welding or wire-fed version of the same thing. Uh, and forget about stick welding like we do with steel right. uh, or like we do gas welding on uh, structural steel components in uh, tube and rag airplanes. That's chrome moly steel. Gas welding doesn't screw with the uh, uh, the uh, characteristics of it, but electric welding does. Yeah. So okay, we don't we don't weld airplanes. Yeah, I remember now that you mention it. I remember back in the days of the Eclipse development um, when because they had to go through the process of getting this stir welding approved. I remember it being a story that they got it approved. Um, if I'm remembering that correctly, is that, that that the way it played out? I think I don't know yeah. that it was a story, but it was certainly a a uh, step along the way in the certification right. of the yeah. eclipse. Yeah, okay. yeah. Because I thought you were going to say that we don't weld our aluminum airplanes because welding aluminum is very difficult, um, which it apparently is. If you you know in the maker world, people who can weld aluminum are treated something like you know wizards or you know whatever. It's, well. I think using a traditional, um, by which I mean gas or, or just arc welding, I think welding aluminum using those means is um, fraught with with um, problems. Mm-hmm. But yeah. some of the more modern welding uh, technologies, I, I don't think, uh, have those kinds of issues with aluminum. Oh, yeah. We weld all the time using yeah. TIG and MIG, tungsten inert gas welding. And a uh, mechanically fed version of it where a wire is fed through sure. the uh, welding gun. Uh, and we weld a lot of stuff that's structural. Uh, we just don't do it in airplanes because of the heat treating issue. Okay. Aircraft-grade aluminum is much harder than uh, most of the aluminum used in other, in other things like car bodies. Okay. Uh, and even that's harder than a typical aluminum. Aluminum's really soft and has a very low sure. melting point. So, but now tube and fabric airplanes um, are welded, but that's probably not aluminum. That's, that's steel. steel, steel, tubes. steel tubing. Yeah, right. That's chrome moly steel. Yeah, and you can't uh, arc weld that. Uh, same temperature problems, but you can use uh, gas welding technique, which oh. if you talk to our friend Charlie Becker, yeah. was the technique he used to uh, start building his uh, Super Cub from scratch in his, in his shop at home mm-hmm. to building the the tube fuselage that gets covered up with cloth. Mm-hmm. That's all done by, by uh, uh, gas welding. That's very. That's much more interesting. That's even more interesting than I expected this to be. That's thank you, David. That's very interesting. Yeah. I, I uh, that makes total sense based on what little I know about welding. But um, yeah, okay. I had to learn to do TIG and MIG welding. Uh, a job I used to have, God, yeah, 50, well, 50 years ago. Right, and, you used to be a shipbuilder. Well, and be- this was before that when I was a tool and die apprentice at GE, uh-huh. and uh, we were occasionally making. Uh, uh, Stuff that was going to go out in the production line that had aluminum shields or uh, uh, some kind of support, and we would make those out of uh, sheet aluminum and build, cut it out, uh, usually with a shear, and then bend it with a break, and then weld the corners together to make mm-hmm. it structurally sound. And we used TIG or MIG. Yeah, interesting. Thank you. That's very interesting. Okay, I learned something. Nice. 
We're a full-service podcast. I know, huh? It's, it's learning something? Facts? Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, welding welding the steel that we'd welded on barges and towboats is much easier. <laughs> yeah, no, I, from what I've read, and I, I actually took a class on, on MIG welding, um, and I, I've, I've done a tiny bit of MIG welding. Um, and, uh, and, and by the way, can you MIG weld aluminum? I thought you could only TIG weld aluminum. Oh, they're both the same process. The difference is with TIG welding, you're feeding the aluminum wire in by hand. Right. With MIG welding, there's a mechanical gun no. that feeds wire off of a spool, but they I, both use tungsten yeah. and inert gas to okay. shield it. Yeah. No, I know about the gas shielding and all. Anyways, okay. Interesting. Thank you. This next, These next two subjects, I want to preface this by saying that I, it is not my intention to belittle airline pilots. I have great admiration for many, most, all airline pilots, okay? Uh, this is just two subjects that kind of got on my mind recently, and so I wanted to bring this up, all right? Um, so you'll see there's a link here to a story from GA News, all right? Um, and um, the story... Um, it's a picture of the day. They they do a, every day. They do some interesting aviation picture. All right, um, and let's see now. There was a line in this. Where'd it go? Uh, okay, here we go. So uh, it's a picture of a float plane uh, flying over the surface of water. I don't know, taking off or landing or whatever. And the caption says, um, Matthew McCoy submitted the following photo and note: quote A photo of my nephew and future airline pilot landing on Yale Lake. And this got me to thinking. And you see this all the time, the reference to airline pilot as if that's something that, and I think the, it make, we're supposed to be even more impressed by this nephew because he is going to be an airline pilot eventually. All right, And that got me to thinking about the question of whether or not airline, airline pilots are the pinnacle of piloting. They are, they are the top of the food chain not not food chain no that's that's not correct airline transport pilots are well okay yeah, all right i see what you're saying there but even that i would challenge all right you know um you know so who defined this pyramid that put airline transport pilots at the very top airline transport uh, pilots defined it of course <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay that's I, 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 I would counter that and say well the faa created this pyramid when they developed the uh, the tier of ratings from private to commercial to uh, ATP. Okay. the ratings yeah all right yeah see because i don't know i so i got me to thinking of what is a, a how would i modify the pyramid in terms of uh, you know um, you know, for example, do do airline pilots represent the the peak of flying skill? And I would say, and again, no bash on airline pilots because they're great at what they do. All right, but I wouldn't necessarily say that they are the best pilots in the world. All right, uh, you know. Uh, oh, I, now, now, now here you're getting into operation types to, to differentiate. I mean, yeah, uh, my uh, my editor. That Air Transport World magazine years ago, James Wolsey, not the CIA director James Wolsey, but yeah, the magazine that, editor that name James sounds Wolsey. Yeah, uh, he told me once that you shouldn't really put airline pilots on a pedestal because as you get higher up in the aircraft weights and capabilities, that the engineers have to design them to be easier to fly and manage, as otherwise it could be overwhelming for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, I kind of took that to heart, but after flying a lot of jump seats in the years I was with Air Transport World, uh, 
I came away with a, a, a respect level for airline pilots that had a lot less to do with their flying abilities and a lot more to do with their ability to put up with corporate BS, okay. <laughs> scheduling and and, yeah. and everything that went into the job that was not about flying. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want the job. Uh, when I was a kid, I thought I'd want that job, but. Only after I retired right. from being a Navy pilot. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, right. Uh, See, now that's the that was one of my examples of a of a of a type of pilot a pilot category that might be m- more than an airline pilot, and that would be a naval aviator. I've always thought naval aviators. Well, just, in, in my book, there's nobody beats naval and marine aviators in yeah, terms of uh, flying capabilities, skills, and demands. Because anybody that can take several tons of aircraft going 130 miles an hour and drop it onto a postage stamp, moving away from you at 40 knots, uh, do it at night in rough weather, rough weather, oh, yeah, uh, zero, zero landings of a 747, yeah, that's right there up with it, but the runway ain't going anywhere. It's sitting perfectly still. Right, right. It's not pitching and rolling. You may be pitching and rolling. Yeah. But the runway, at least, is stable. And all of those are variables when you start talking about carrier-based operations. So right. those guys get my vote. Yeah, I, they're, they're definitely high on my list as well. Jeb, I know you at, you at, at various times have ha- held fantasies about becoming some sort of airline-ish, airline-y kind of pilot. Yes? No? And then I go lie down and it goes away. <laughs> well, has it? I mean, uh, that's like yeah, it pretty much has. Uh, if for no other reason, then I'm going to age out here real soon. That having been said, um, there was a time um, early on, back in student pilot and, and uh, uh, private, you know, fresh private pilot days, um, where. I had given some thought to flying uh, as a as a vocation. Um, I wear contact lenses, and they're kind mm-hmm. of thick. So the punchline is my eyesight, my uncorrected eyesight, isn't that good. And back in those days, uh, there were enough pilots in the pipeline right. With good uncorrected vision, that they didn't have to take someone who had to wear corrective lenses. So, just by virtue of the market at the time for pilots, I wasn't able to compete. So I just kind of walked away from all that. Um, nowadays, it's not the least bit uncommon for um, airline pilots to wear corrective lenses. Mm-hmm. It just is the way, again, the market for uh, pilots has evolved over time. Um, yeah. I, you know, and, and since I got my ATP a, f- a few years ago, I've kind of scratched my head and said, well, do I want to go fly, you know, let's say, you know, ride shotgun on a King Air a couple of times a month or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I got to thinking about that. And I got to thinking about schedules, and I got to thinking about, you know, I'm not, even if it's required crew member on this particular operation, uh, I'm not going to be really getting a whole lot of time. I've, I've ridden shotgun on King Air before, and I know all, you know, about the operation and all that kind of thing. 
But what I am going to probably end up doing is schlepping the bags for the people in the back. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure. And that's people. not a bridge I'm willing to cross. Just the because F-O-1. not yeah. not because I have anything against the people in the back. And I do have a thing about schlepping bags that aren't mine. Uh, <laughs> but more importantly, um, I'm there to to operate the controls in the front office. I'm not there to to kiss ass uh, uh, for the people sitting in the back. So yeah. that's where I got off that train. Yeah. There goes your corporate pilot career. Exactly. I know, huh? Exactly. Exactly. So now, if it was freight or if it was, um, um, you know, some other kind of operation, there's a there's an operation here locally, or was anyway, I don't know if they're still doing it, where um, it was a King Air 90, and they were doing uh, nighttime um, mosquito spray operations. Um, over a, a preset grid, and and everybody in the in the in the zip code, you know, would get a, a phone call or something like that uh, the day the night the day of, um, mm-hmm. uh, according to plan. Uh, say, hey, you know, by the way, there's going to be you know mosquito suppression operations and flights over your house tonight, and you know maybe you know stop breathing for six hours uh, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and I you know I just never followed up on any of that. Right is the punchline, yeah. um, I, I, but this conversation, you know, there's an old, you know, back in the days before email or, or, or whatnot, you'd, you'd see stuff faxed back and forth, you know, from pilots and and what. There's an old screed, for lack of a better term, about um, some guy flying over. No, some guys in a in a in a in a cub. They're shooting landings at a grass strip on a, on a lazy summer afternoon. And they look up and, you know, there goes a, a, a king air uh, past, you know, climbing out from a nearby airport. Hey, boy, I wish, you know, really could, you know, uh, um, fly one of those things. That would be really cool. And, and then there's the king airs. The pilots in the king air are looking at a 727 punching out in front of them boy i can't wait till i upgrade to that and you know 747 and 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 then you know uh, um, then there's the the astronauts in the uh, space uh, space shuttle or the international space station and they're looking out the window and they got this big telescope and they're looking down and they see the guys in the cub and -hmm. they're like Wow, I, that would that must be so much fun! I just cannot wait until I get back on the ground and I can go fly a club a cub again. And my point is, it's not a pyramid; it's not a straight line; it's a circle. It's a circle. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That it does makes sense. Yeah, the grass is always greener. Um, yada yada yada. Whatever. Yeah, that's right. Big brother Bob Emery. The grass right. is always greener in the other. Grass place, is yeah. always greener at the salad bar, <laughs> okay, or, or over the septic tank, if you believe. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Irma Bomba. Yeah, okay, all right. There we go. <coughs> uh, I'm going to save my other uh, airline pilot challenger, whatever subject, for another day. So we'll come back to that one. That's okay, a well, tease for some know, future episode. I, you know, just one more comment on this. You know, yeah. when I was working on my ATP. I was told that um, it was a great thing. It would be a great thing for my social life because it would just, you know, bowl women over and they would want to spend time with me. Okay. I've since you know. discovered that that's no longer the case. <laughs> I was going to say how that worked out yeah, for you. I've since yeah, discovered I that. I, I might have been sold a bill of goods. I'm not sure. 
I know. Well, the, 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 where the guy missed out that told you that yeah. was uh, uh, he wasn't at the same time trying to sell you white shirts and black trousers, white shirts with four stripes on the shoulder bars. That that could make a difference at some of the watering holes around some of the airports. Yeah, that's true. Maybe, maybe Which, that's what it is. Although, you know, I do have this jacket that I wear sometimes, and I've, I've been um, – yeah, uh, hit hit on because I was wearing that jacket. Uh, you know that's when I wear my flight jacket and my matching cap uh, out to some of the watering holes. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I frequently get asked, uh-huh. "Are you a pilot?" And yeah, I started out as a pilot in a bakery. In a bakery, yeah, I take dough from one corner and pile it in another. <laughs> okay, all right, all righty uh, then. Yeah. On that note, um, have we done wel- have we done welcome folks yet? Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm pretty sure we did. Okay. Pretty sure we just did. Just trying to Hope catch up. Did. Just trying to catch up. <laughs> yeah. um, first of the year is is looming, um, and uh, um, so of course we're finally reaching the big ADSB requirement date, um, and uh, I, and I don't necessarily want to talk about the equipment because no. I, you know we've talked to death about we've talked the to deadlines death. and what it takes and what you need death. and all that kind of thing. Um, a more, I uh, just kind of wanted to talk for a couple seconds about the kind of operational issues of this this requirement. Um, it, first of all, it, it, it's, is it January first? Yes. Magically on midnight, yes. you know, it's like the, the ball drops and you can't fly exactly. any place without ADSB. Exactly. Is that what happens? Yes and no. Okay. You uh, will have available to you if you are not compliant uh, with the. Uh, automated dependent surveillance broadcast rule that was issued back in May of 2010. If you passed all these years and didn't catch on and didn't get it done, there is a waiver process available on a flight-by-flight basis. Uh, And I've yet to see exactly how that's supposed to work. Uh, But it's going to be on a case-by-case basis and up to the facility that you're trying to get the waiver through and whether they can handle it. It is not meant to be used as a substitute for ADSB out. Okay. Uh, if you're flying from Europe over here, January 1 is your hard date. If you fly in Europe exclusively, June 6, 2020 is the hard date for over there. Okay. Uh, but if you're flying from over there to over here, you're supposed to be equipped for over here on January 1. So, okay. Uh, and and then, the, the percentage yeah. of pilots or the equipment is... Well, well, I'm working on a story about that right now, and it's approaching 90% as well, of this yeah. week. I, I know. I've seen these things, too, and I know you've been tracking it. But that's somewhat suspect statistic, isn't it? Because it's, it, it's well, that's the flight-aware statistic, right? Well, FAA, too. I, oh, got, okay. I get numbers from both sources okay. because it never hurts to have two. The, and interestingly enough, they matched up very closely. What are the oh, FAA's really? numbers based on? Jibs, you broke up there, Jibs. What are the FAA's numbers based on? What are they using for data? Uh, They're basing that on the uh, number of uh, aircraft that have filed for and conducted the test and whether they passed the test or whether they had the system and didn't pass the test, which means that they need to correct something, uh, maybe a SIL number. uh, So they're not basing it on the total number of aircraft on, on the registry, divided by the number that have ADSB. That's my understanding. Okay. Okay. So 
But not all the aircraft registered are required. I mean, non-electric system airplanes aren't required. I get that. So, um, now, and I'm not sure how to ask this question. So, now I'm flying an airplane that is properly equipped, and let's assume it's turned on and it's working, all that kind of good stuff. It has to be turned on by rule. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be on continuously. Um, Oh, okay. But isn't there some sort of mode you can put it in where it's not doing? Depends on the equipment. Um, and generally the answer is no. Uh, the rule says that if the aircraft is equipped uh, with ADS-B, then it must be operating whenever the aircraft um, is flying. Oh, is okay, I didn't know that. that Unless is. ATC says to the contrary. Right. Okay. But and the reason for that is because there's other equipment, uh, ground infrastructure, that depends on your ADS-B out signal to track you on taxiways right. and runways. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I mean, what I'm trying to get up to here is asking the question, and maybe it's a question that's that's moot because you don't need to know this. But um, w- what's the simple definition of? So it's called what? Rule airspace. That's the airspace within which you absolutely have to have this equipment. Rule. Rule. Yes. Rule airspace is really kind of easy. It's basically everywhere you're required to have mode C now. Yeah. That's the simplest answer. Okay. And what does that mean? Uh, for, for, yeah, so that's obviously within the Mode C veil of a, of a Bravo. Uh-huh. Um, and is it also within the bounds of a Class Charlie? Yes. Yes. And is it within the bounds of a Class Delta? No. 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 Okay. Um, so you need to be properly equipped within basically – that's so that's the simple description. The Mode C veil of a, char, of a Bravo and anywhere within the Charlie. And a Charlie. And then – and within, how about if I'm flying over the top of a Charlie or even a Bravo? It, yes. Which? You're going to have to have it. Over the top? Yes. Yeah, for one at a time here, over the top of a Bravo. That does make sense that you would need it there. Over the top of a Charlie, you need it as well? From surface to 10,000 feet above mean sea level, including the airspace from portions of Class Bravo that extend beyond, extend beyond the mode sea veil up to 10,000 MSL, okay. uh, above 10,000 MSL in Class E over the 48 states and D.C., excluding airspace at and below 2,500 feet AGL. That's directly out of the FAA's document. Okay. I was going to say that, Jeb, isn't it amazing that he knows that? Just just spin that out. Um, he's reading that. Okay. But let me uh, – so you kind of went fast there. Let me just kind of back up a step here, all right? So um, now the mode – And I sent you the link. Okay, thank you. The mode CVL goes all the way to the ground, and obviously it goes all the way up now to the to orbit, right? So that makes some sense. What about um, a Charlie? If, if I was underneath one of the layers of the Charlie but not in the Charlie, um, do, do I need my – can I class – Class C, generally from surface up to 4,000 feet MSL, including the airspace above the horizontal boundary up to 10,000 feet MSL. Above. It doesn't say below the horizontal boundary. From the surface uh-huh. up to 4,000 feet MSL, including the airspace above the horizontal, ba- okay. horizontal boundary right, up I to 10,000 feet. Okay. In uh, Class E, above 10,000 feet MSL over the 48 states and D.C., excluding airspace at and below 2,500 feet AGL. And also Class E, over the Gulf of Mexico at and above 3,000 feet MSL within 12 nautical miles of the coastline of the U.S. Got it, I think. Okay. 
All right. Uh, and it's you know this this paragraph sums it up. Any airspace that requires the use of the transponder today will, on January 1, 2020, also require aircraft to be equipped with a version 2 ADSB out system. This can be either a 1090 ES, its extended squitter ADSB, or a universal access transceiver, which uses uh, works with your old Mode C transponder, and uh, is the only legal here in the United States. The rest of the world is using 1090 ES. Yeah. Okay, here we go. You ready? Yeah, here we go. Buckle up. Uh, Buckle in. Here we go. Uh, and there's a there's a map below the chart at that link I sent you. Yeah, we'll put that in the um, in the uh, show notes, of course. Yeah, um, FAA.gov you know, link. As of yeah, as of December 31, we will have had 10.5 years to get this right. <laughs> and I'm I'm going to be sort of kind of out of patience with anyone who didn't hasn't figured this out yet. Yeah. Well, I have I have some sympathy for operators flying aircraft, and this is largely older business yes. jets and air transport category aircraft uh, of an older age, for which n- nobody's yet developed a solution. And uh, for the air carriers, the FAA long ago recognized this and created a. Uh, a waiver program for them that you had to apply to a long time ago and you can no longer access now if you didn't. But that was for those air carriers for whom a solution did not yet exist. But there's a chart on one of the FAA pages that shows the uh, airline compliance with ADSB, and it's amazingly high. Uh, Mm-hmm. But there's still some business jets that don't have a solution, and they're they're going to be stuck between one waiver and another. Right. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Here we, Here we go. go. Strap That's in. That's right. That's right. Um, let's see now. Uh, AOPA has announced uh, where they're going to be holding the uh, three uh, of their regional fly-ins in 2020. And, uh, it's Weren't kinda- they doing five? Yeah, you know they've reduced it a little bit, obviously. Yeah, um, three or three or four is my recollection, but they were doing. I, yeah. I, yeah, I think David's right. I think they were doing four plus mm-hmm. Frederick. That's um, right. That's right. At first, right. Um, and now they're doing three plus Frederick. Um, so the three in 2020 will be in May, end of May in San, San Marcos, Texas, which I understand is kind of a cool GA airport. I wish I could go to that one. Um, San Marcos is just south of Austin, um, in Texas. And uh, one of the YouTube, uh, one of the very popular YouTube uh, pilot guys um, who goes, I believe he calls his channel Aviation 101, and uh, he's based at San Marcos, Texas, and that's where I've seen videos of him operating out of there. And it looks like an interesting airport. It's a nice little airport. You're familiar with it. Visited there twice. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. Was that one of your stops when you flew the uh, the, uh, 162? Uh, Actually, yeah. Okay. Because... This is so sad. I'm blanking. That was, that on what was, was one, the of the, one? one of the times I was there, flying the uh, Cessna Skycatcher. Skycatcher. Uh, Thank you. Cross oh country gosh. from uh, San Diego to Tampa. Right. So San Marcos is one in May, late May, May 2930. Uh, in June uh, 19th and 20th, they're going to be at Casper, Wyoming, um, which I don't know anything about the airport up there. It's an interesting part of the country. Um, backed oh, up against. Oh, it's beautiful up there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, 
and uh, uh, somewhat historic part of the country. I, I've always been fascinated by the uh, the migration, the uh, you know the kind of wagon trains and things like that going across the country, and that area is is pretty instrumental in in a lot of that history. So Casper, Wyoming, um, is going to be in June 19 and 20, and then in September, in the fall, uh, September 11th and 12th, they're going to be in Rochester, New York, sort of up in my neck of the woods here. And uh, that's the one that I want to try and go to. Um, and uh, um, the day job allowing, um, I, I, I hope, I plan to be there uh, on September 11th and 20th, 12th. That's on nearly a year away. But uh, Rochester, New York, KROC uh, is the uh, airport up there. So uh, that's the 2020 uh, uh, schedule for the A. And then, of course, Fre- Frederick, the uh, homecoming, which they don't on this thing show what the date They don't have that sc- they don't show a schedule for that. Yeah, they don't show a date for that for 2020. Uh, I'm not sure that that's... Oh, I thought they did that Actually, on the agenda. Yeah, hang on here. Let's see. Because they show it as having one there on ni- 2019, this year. Yeah. Well, I, that would be interesting if there was no I, uh, no uh, uh, Frederick homecoming. But, uh, yeah, so... That's the three uh, AOPA flyings there, uh, and they are they. Uh, I've been to two of them, I believe, um, and they're a lot of fun. They're just a little two day thing, but they're they're you know uh, very well attended and lots of interesting stuff and airplanes on display and um, you know so uh, if you're if you're anywhere near one of those, I recommend uh, trying to seek it out and, and, and attend. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, they're they're fun um, and and educational. A lot of trained seminars and and uh, you know. Just a fun day to hang out at the airport. Uh, that's it. I think it's I think it's fork time. Uh, you guys got anything else uh, we should be talking about here? Or, uh... um, I, I think well, we got it. I think we got it. I think you got it. Thank you, boys. It's a, it's always a blast to uh, chat with you. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, someday we'll tell the story of why today is especially unusual uh in the ucap world but not not right now right now i'm just going to say uh uh thank you jeb jeb burnside is a freelance aviation writer uh and editor serving as the editor-in-chief of aviation safety magazine uh, you've been working on anything fun jeb what's going on well get, getting geared up for the february issue of aviation safety um, holy moly yeah I yeah know. i know i just uh it's hard it's hard sometimes to um but february 2020 is 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 a coming Yep. And, of course, it'll be really cold where you guys are. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, Appreciate that. But uh, um, um, looking at a variety of, of, of different articles and uh, you know, talk, talk some more about that as we get closer. But uh, um, I've also uh, uh, should be looking very soon for an article in uh, uh, Avionics News. Uh, at uh, the Aircraft Electronics Association and AE8.net. Not sure if it's going to be on the cover or just a, a big thing or what, but uh, talking about the new Atlas um, uh, flight management system from uh, Avidyne hmm. and okay. uh, how that's kind of uh, uh, shake up a little, shake up the uh, FMS market. Uh, aboard uh, uh, Part 25 transports and uh, I think it's Part 29 helicopters, um, uh, where you got a, um, a shall we say a, a, a panel and and uh, equipment requirements that are that differ from uh, uh, those of, of Part 91 GA uh, and the different mounting systems and, and this kind of thing. But uh, basically taking uh, uh, Avidyne's uh, 
tried and true FMS software and putting it on a, to a different hardware platform and thereby different different uh, aircraft. So kind cool. of kind of a cool kind of a cool product. Neat. And uh, other than that, uh, just trying to keep the uh, just trying to remember put the wheels down. There you go. There you go. Where uh, where can people find out about this and other things you're doing on the internet? Yeah, the AviationSafetyMagazine.com uh, link is is always good. Uh, AEA.net for for Aircraft Electronics Association. Uh, GeneralAviationNews.com. Uh, some stuff I've written there over the years. Uh, AvWeb.com is always good, and of course uh, AIOnline.com uh, uh, for some other work I've been doing. Yeah, and on Twitter you are what birds Burnside Burnside J, J at, at, on the Twitter machine for for me personally, and then Av Safety Mag for the magazine. Cool, cool. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer magazine. Dave, what have you been working on? Well, let's see. What was I working on last month? Uh, <laughs> this month I've got a uh, coming up. The January issue's not quite on the streets yet, but uh, a couple of pieces in Av Buyer magazine, uh, looking at issues that I've long since escaped my mind. Uh, well, tell me a little bit. The, so, what publications are you writing for these days, and where can people find them on the internet? Av Buyer Magazine is uh, avbuyer dot com, and click on the magazine link. Uh, AEA dot net for my work with uh, Avionics News, and I'm working on a couple of stories there. But I don't like to steal their thunder. They're, they're, they'll be in the uh, January issue, and that'll be out next week. Uh, by the time you hear this, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's AEA.net. You can click on the Publications tab and down to the magazine. You can also look at their uh, Pilot's Guide to Avionics on- online and request a free copy from them if you'd like it. It's a very useful resource. I find myself going back to it again and again over the years. Mm-hmm. And on the Twitter, and you are? I'm Real Higdon on the Twitter machine, and uh, you can find my work at... Uh, the easiest thing to do is Google Dave Higdon and aviation, and and you'll be surprised at all the stuff that comes up. <laughs> I, I always am. I know, huh? And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Uh, I've just been kind of trying to recover from the holidays and prepare myself for the new year and, uh, uh, you know, kind of just keep busy. Uh, lots of projects, lots of irons in the fire. Uh, remains we've seen how many, if any of them, will ever see the light of day. I'm, I'm notorious for, for uh, coming up with all kinds of ideas that don't ever come to fruition. But uh, someone recently, uh, a listener was... Uh, <laughs> So here's, a, here's, here's UCAP trivia for you guys. Uh, a, a listener recently texted me and said, what the heck is Echo? All right. Do you guys remember Echo? I remember Echo. Echo yeah. was, a, was, a, uh, was a, an experiment we did, a little prototype we did for a while where we were trying to uh, uh, sort of repurpose and, and make older content uh, available. And uh, it lasted for about six or eight months or so and then faded away. Um, but I haven't given up. I've got lots of ideas. We'll see which ones actually come to fruition. Uh, you can uh, find me online in most of the usual places with the username Jack Hodgson. That's my first name, last name bumped together. For example, YouTube, Jack Hodgson, Twitter, Jack Hodgson, Patreon, Jack Hodgson. You can find my ebooks uh, on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the Books section, and you can sign up for my email newsletter at uh, jackhodgson.com. And check out the, uh, all the general information about the, uh, the uh, podcast uh, at our homepage is uncontrolledairspace.com. You can find the show notes there and uh, lots of all the old episodes are there 
and on Twitter. Uh, uh, you can uh, follow the uh, podcast itself on Twitter at Class G Airspace. That's Class and the letter G Airspace uh, on Twitter. Hey, David, Jack, is there something? Could I addend my thing on Avbuyer real quick? Sure, uh, go ahead. The December issue, you can find an article uh, that I uh, uh, wrote uh, titled is now a good time to buy a helicopter and we uh, tapped a couple of experts Martin there's, there's never a good Roberts. time to buy a helicopter i'm sorry <laughs> yeah and that that's on page 44 of the december issue sounds good <laughs> david <laughs> now hang on here everybody take a breath david was there something you wanted to tell us well, if you saw Father Time strolling through your neighborhood, he's probably on his way to a New Year's Eve party. And, uh, well, they don't get much older than him. And it's a little-known secret that he's a pilot. And he got to be that age because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. You know, if, if God had meant for man to fly, he would have given us more money. 